Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be conceited. Repay no evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. It's hard to believe that this past week, on August the 19th, was the 65th anniversary of the beginning of the sit-in at Katz Drugstore. It was organized by Claire Looper and 13 of her students, and it was the beginning of the end of segregation in Oklahoma. What a significant lady and what she did. It turned out that Clara had been born in rural Oklahoma. She grew up in um, Hoffman, Oklahoma. And she was born in 1923. And, And if you were black and growing up in rural Oklahoma in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, you certainly understood segregation. You understood the injustices that came with it. As a child, she experienced them all the time. You cannot go to this movie theater. You can't go into this restaurant. You can't go into this diner. You can't go into this uh, store. She saw the signs, drinking fountains, whites only, coloreds only, restrooms, whites only, coloreds only. No, she understood segregation. She would graduate and become a history teacher and come to Oklahoma City And she would see segregation here. And that's why she had grown up and made the decision, you know, this is time for this to end. She was very inspired by what was going on there in Birmingham, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, and what was actually happening with the bus boycott, what was going on with Martin Luther King Jr. She had a group of kids who were part of the youth council of the NAACP. They were a chapter here in Oklahoma that would be a part of the national group. But this youth council decided we need to do something. And they decided they wanted to hold a sit-in at Katz Drugstore. And so it was on August the 19th, 1958. They showed up when it opened. 13 of them went in. Two were her children. And these were all younger teenagers. And they came in and took a seat and they ordered a Coke, they ordered a hamburger, and they refused to serve them. 
And so they just sat there. And they sat there. But now, Clara Looper was a teacher. And even though she was a part of this protest, she didn't see any reason the kids shouldn't still be learning. So they had to do their homework. They had to bring their books and be able to read and do their homework while they sat in the protest. Yeah, we got a lot we can be doing while we're sitting here. They sat there all day long. And they went home. During the day, people had been spitting on them, saying bad things about them. They were taught, you don't respond. They were back the second day, all day long. They went home. They were back the third day. And at the end of the third day, they received word that the headquarters in Kansas um, for Katz Drug Stores had made the decision that they would be willing to desegregate all of their stores in a four-state area. They had won. Now they won because, you know, Claire had, a, had an idea how to do this. First of all, she was going to have young people, not older, young students. And it would be peaceful. And she went to Bill Purser, who happened to be the lieutenant of police, and said, we're going to hold this sit-in, and it's going to be nonviolent, and it's going to be our kids who do this. And the police said, we will not arrest you and we will not harm you. If it's going to be kids and it's going to be peaceful, then okay. And so it worked. And it's a fascinating thing is this is before Greensboro, North Carolina, about a year and a half later, and it would be college students and there would be violence and it would become suddenly the thing to hold sit-ins for desegregation but as far as we know, the first time there was a sit-in, it actually was in Oklahoma. And it was peaceful. And it worked. It was a time in our history when we were having to try to figure out how are we all going to live together? How are we going to live together with all these issues of prejudice and segregation, racism? How are we going to do this? This morning, I want to conclude our sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway. And I want to do it by looking at the musical Ragtime. Because Ragtime is about this very issue. How do you deal with that sense of prejudice that goes on and had gone on in America? Now, the story takes place in 1906. That's the setting, 1906. And at the turn of the century... There was a tremendous sense of prejudice, segregation, discrimination going on in the United States. And so the story is going to be about three groups of people and how all of their lives intersect one another. You had the white people, affluent, living in the suburbs, New Rochelle. And they were not bothered by anybody who didn't look just like them, and they liked it just like that. That was perfectly fine. And then you would have another group of people. It was the immigrants. And they were from Latvia. They were Jewish. And you have Tata who shows up with his daughter. And he too has a dream for a new life in America. That maybe it could be different for he and his daughter. And then you have Cole House Walker. He's a piano player in Harlem. He's black. And he's an incredible piano player. 
and his girlfriend, Sarah, and their son. And so now you're going to have to figure out how do we all go to interact here, whether we are black or white or Jewish, immigrant. And it's going to be how we try to figure this out and going forward together. Now the book, Ragtime, the story, it's a historical novel, actually comes out in 1975. E.L. Doctoro is the one who writes the story. Well, when a book comes out, stop and just think for a moment what we had just come through. What's the background? It was the civil rights of the 1960s and still rolling into the early 1970s. That's what would be on everyone's mind. That's the, the reflection of this book, Ragtime, that's going to come out in 1975. Again, it's hard to believe that tomorrow is going to be the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. The time when a quarter of a million people came from all over the United States and they gathered there in Washington, there on the mall, and they came to protest for jobs. They came to protest for freedom and justice. It's also the place where Martin Luther King would wind up giving his speech, I have a dream. And the whole purpose of the speech would be able to say, I have a dream that one day my children will be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. It was such an important march that had such an impact on our country. It would help lead to the 1964 and the Civil Rights Act, 1965, the Voting Rights Act. Isn't it interesting? We're still hearing about all those things today. And so it was that it came out in 1975, the story, if we had moved through this tumultuous decade. And it came out as a movie in 1981. I know that many people probably have seen the movie. But then it was turned into a musical. And the musical came out in 1978, and it opened in Toronto. It would run for about nine months. And after running and making the tweaks, it then came to Broadway and it opened on January the 18th, 1998. It would run for two years, 834 performances. It would garner um, 13 Tony Award nominations. Obviously a very successful production. However, when it came to winning all of them, they actually ran up against a, another musical that happened to be very successful that year called The Lion King. And so The Lion King had 11 Tony Award nominations, and it won six. And Ragtime would win four. Lion King would win Best Musical. But it had a profound effect, and so many people came to listen you know, to the story. I was visiting with Logan Fish, who happens to run our Petit Theater, and he put me in touch with uh, Dr. Richard... Uh, Zikhtara down in um, OU. And Dr. Zelensky um, is a choral director, and they had put on Ragtime about eight years ago. And as I visited with Dr. Z, he then put me in touch um, with a Joe Lacaro. Joe Lacaro is the one who actually directed Ragtime down in Norman. 
But more than that, he actually was a part of the original cast back in 1998 and was the whole time it played on Broadway. So I had a great opportunity to visit with Joe and ask about the character development because it is a complicated show with so many ins and outs and twists and all these different people. At times there's 48 people on stage, he said. I mean, there's a lot to keep up with. And so Joe was so kind and he was so helpful and we just visited for about an hour so I could try to learn the ins and outs and who are all these different people and how do they relate to one another. But after we'd been talking, he then said, you know, it was just about two months ago that the original cast all got back together in Broadway for a 25th reunion of Ragtime. And we got back together to sing the songs as a, a fundraiser. We were raising funds for the Actors Fund. Lots of people will do these different kinds of fundraisers. But they got back together, 25th anniversary, and they were singing to raise funds for the Actors Fund. And he said, you know, back in 1998, we felt that this musical had such an important message for America at that time. But all of us who got together a couple months ago, we felt like the message was even more important for our country today. And I couldn't help but think how when I talked to Rabbi Harris and Imad and Chauncey, the Imam, they talk about how all of the hatred attacks on Jews and Muslims has gone through the roof. We know the attacks on people of color we know the increased attacks on the LGBT community. And it really left me thinking. In some ways, I'm not surprised because, you know, history says this is an issue we have dealt with forever. And really, you can go back specifically and look 2,000 years ago in the early Christian church. And our scripture lesson Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. And the Christians in Rome are being persecuted by the Jewish hierarchy, the religious authorities, and by the Roman Empire. They are the ones who are on the outs. They are the ones who are being persecuted, discriminated against. And so Paul is trying to write to them to say, how do we deal with this? And Paul says... Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil. Paul is writing to a group of people who are being persecuted and discriminated against. That's what ragtime wrestles with, this very issue and who we are and how do we deal with this. So the story. The story is about mother. There is this, the white affluent group who lives in New Rochelle. And it's interesting, that family has titles but no names. Nobody has a name. There's mother, there's father, there's little brother, there's little boy, there is grandmother, but nobody has a name. Just a title of who they are. 
Well, Father is going away with Admiral Byrd on an adventure to the North Pole, and he's going to be gone for a long time. And so suddenly Mother's being left in charge, and she's going to make decisions about the business and about how to run the home, They're about finances, they're very wealthy. And she's really kind of excited about that idea. Father has always dominated her life, her husband. Father has always told her what to do and how we'll run the business and what it'll be like. And now mother is suddenly going to have some power to do what she wants. And so father goes away. And it isn't long after he's gone away that mother, who loves to garden, is out on her flower beds digging. And she comes across a baby wrapped up in a blanket, a newborn baby. It is a, the baby is still alive. It is African-American. You heard the song a few moments ago, Your Daddy's Son. It's about a mother, a young woman who has a baby. She's all alone in the world. She has no one. She does not know what to do. She is afraid. She doesn't really understand what's happening. And so she wraps up this baby and hides him there in the flower bed. The police come. And when the police come, they're going to take her and the baby away. When suddenly mother makes a decision, I will take Sarah, this washerwoman, into my home and take the baby into the home as well. Now that's not a decision that father would have made. And it's a decision that when she makes it is going to change everyone's life forever. Sarah and the baby now are going to be a part of the family. In the meantime, you have Cole House Walker. He is a piano player. He's playing ragtime. He's very successful. He does not know where Sarah has gone. She was his girlfriend. He does not know about the baby. And so he suddenly hears where he thinks she may be now in New Rochelle with a family. And he's determined he wants to come see her. And he's going to find out about the baby. Well, it turns out that Cole House Walker has been so successful, he's been able to buy a Model T. And there aren't many people who had a car in 1906. And so he buys one. Certainly not black men in 1906 driving cars, going wherever they want to go. And suddenly he's able to be going to New Rochelle, trying to see Sarah, who doesn't want to see him. But he keeps coming. And finally she agrees and they begin to talk and they fall in love. And you just heard the song, On the Wheels of a Dream. It's the idea of the car was our vehicle to say, it'll take us anywhere we're going to go. It is the wheels of our dream that we can go with our son. It is something very exciting for them. Well, in the meantime, there are people who see him driving by all the time in his Model T and they are jealous. And they do not like a black man driving this Model T by all the time. And so they stop Cole House. And in the end, they will trash and destroy his car. They throw it into a pond. And he is so angry. It is so unjust. He goes to the chief, fire chief who will do nothing. Goes to the police chief who will do nothing. Goes to the judges. They will do nothing. To politicians, nothing. No one will help get justice for this black man. And he is so angry. Sarah wants to help him. 
And Sarah happens to be down at the train station one day when Theodore Roosevelt shows up on a campaign stop. And when she sees it's the president, she thinks he would be willing to help us have justice. And so she runs towards the train where Theodore Roosevelt is so that she can come there and, and be able to ask for help. And as she's running towards the train, somebody shouts, she has a gun. And now the Secret Service steps up and they begin to club her. And they kill her. And now Cole House has lost his girlfriend, the mother of his child. He's lost his car, his dream. And he is so full of fury and anger. He wants justice. What do you do? He goes to the firehouse and he bombs it, blows it up. Innocent people get killed. And then he goes to another one and blows it up and another one and blows it up. And he finds that this is the way he is going to somehow provoke justice and change things by blowing other things up. And people are getting hurt. And he makes the decision. He's created a following and he goes into downtown Manhattan and into this wonderful library and he's going to blow it up and he is found out. And now they surround it. And now he is trapped. And the question is going to be, what happens? Father hears about it. Father shows up because he's come to know Sarah, the baby, Cole House. And he's beginning to understand the situation. He calls in Booker T. Washington. Because Cole House is such an appreciation for Booker T. Washington. And Washington shows up and he says, you can't do this. Violence is not the way. You do not repay evil with evil. That's not going to be the way. And I asked Joe Lacaro, I said, does Cole House change? And he said, absolutely. This is a salvation moment when he turns from violence to saying there's got to be a better way. And so he negotiates that his men will be able to leave safely, safe passage. They have brought him a Model T to make up for the one that was destroyed, to restore his dignity, his respect. His men drive away in this Model T. They're able to go. He is left with Father. And he says to Father, how's my son? Your boy's doing great, very smart. He's doing well. Thank you for being so kind. Do you think I'll get a fair trial? Absolutely, says Father. And so they leave and they walk outside the library and Colehouse is immediately shot dead. There is an epilogue that goes with the story to tie so many loose ends up. And I haven't followed the line here of Tata making his way in America, success, poverty, but in the end, Father gets on a boat to go to Europe at the beginning of World War I and gets over on this liner and is attacked by a German U-boat that blows it up and sinks and Father dies. And so now it is that Tata and Mother have had their paths crossed several times through these years and after a year of mourning, they begin to date and they get married. 
and now you have a marriage with a Jewish immigrant to this Christian white woman that will be raising his daughter and her son and the son of Kohlhaus and Sarah. And they move to California to start a new life. If you're not uplifted now, I don't know when you'll ever be. I I mean, wow. I'm following all this and I'm talking to Joe and I'm trying to learn these characters and how do they all tie together and who's doing what. And finally I said, Joe, this is not a happy story. And he kind of laughed and said, no, but it's an important message because it's the message that there is hope that it can be different. I thought about that. It's the message that there can, it can be different. It gives us hope. It will be different. So I guess the question I just simply wanted to ask us today was, what can you and I do to help it to be different? And I just want to share with you two ideas. First of all, you and I need to start understanding that no matter how different people are from us, everybody wants basically the same things. People all hunger for the same sort of things. We all want to be respected. We all want to be treated with dignity. We all want to have the freedom to pursue our dreams. We all want to be able to love and to be loved. We all want to be able to pursue the American dream. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter our religion. It doesn't matter our sexual orientation. We have the same hunger for these things. When you look at mother, she had such a love for her young son. And she was dreaming about what would be good for him. She's also liking it when she suddenly has respect and power. Tata is there for his daughter. He wants a new life, but he wants his daughter to have a better life, to give her the opportunity to learn and to pursue her dream. And Colehouse and Sarah, they have such a love for each other, and they're dreaming about their dreams on the wheels of a dream. And they have such a love for their son. And what's their son going to be, and what can he do? You know, it didn't really matter who we are. We seem to have the same desires for the same kinds of, of dreams. And you, you look at it, you have to say, the thing we, none of us wants is for other people to tell us, you can't do whatever it is because of your age. You can't do it because you're a woman. You can't do it because of the color of your skin. You can't do it because of your sexual orientation. We don't want everybody telling us what we can't do. We all want to have that freedom. We believe in the American promise that all people are created equal and everyone should have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's the American promise that we all get it. 
even if we are different from one another, we all hunger for it. It is the foundation of our faith as we as Christians. All you have to do is look in the book of John. One story, just one story tells you everything you need to know. Jesus is traveling through Samaria and the Jews hate the Samaritans and the Samaritans hate the Jews. And he sits down at a well and along comes a woman who is a Samaritan woman and Jesus speaks to her with respect and the disciples are stunned. First of all, men don't speak to women. Women are way down the social ladder. You speak to a woman and you don't speak to a Samaritan woman. We all hate the Samaritans. And here is Jesus treating this Samaritan woman with a sense of respect and dignity. Paul understood the one he followed, Jesus the Christ. And it's why Paul would write, I am sure there is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. We are one in Christ. Those were the divisions of his day. There is not Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, male, nor female. We are one. That's who we're called to be in the body of Christ. And when we're treated that way, we get to dream our dreams. You know, it was Lynn Aran who wrote the lyrics for this musical, um, Ragtime. Lynn's story is an amazing story, really, when she, uh, she was a young lady, 20 years old in 1970, and she wanted to work, and the only job she could get was working as uh, a secretary in the secretary pool. Now, this was back in a day when secretary, the secretarial pool was kind of like being a computer. You just sat there and people would bring things that needed to have typed and done. You weren't like an administrative assistant, a part of a program or a dream response. No, no. You're just in a pool. We'll give you the work. Type it. She was bored to death, but at 20 years old, a woman, what could she do? And so she brought her guitar to work and during lunch so that she could play her guitar and just sing and one day she's doing it. She's working for an advertising company. An executive happens to come by and hears her singing during her lunch hour. And he says, wow, you're pretty good. You know, I've just been put on a whole new project and it's called Schoolhouse Rock. Would you like to try to write something for that? And she did. And as they say, the rest is history. And suddenly she was writing with Stephen Flannery and she and Stephen became a wonderful writing team. And it's interesting, if you stop and think about all these musicals we've been looking at, how often the composer and the lyricist are two men. Over and over, it's two men. Why can't a woman write and compose? How many times down through the years have they been told, you can't do that because you're a woman? It's when you and I will stop and start seeing one another, even though we are different, as people who are trying for the same things as we are, to live with that respect and dignity, the freedom to dream our dreams. And so secondly, you and I can help make things different when we are willing to accept responsibility and stand up for what is right. 
I think of Clara Luper when she looked at this discrimination that was going on there at Kat's drugstore and she had to say, that's just wrong. And so what she goes and does made such a difference. We really do believe the first sit-in of the civil rights movement may have happened right down the street. And what I think is exciting is that now we are looking at this and I don't know if you realize it was a year ago we had a dedication and right here on Robinson down to Maine at the corner of Robinson and Maine there's going to be a Freedom Park. There's going to be a Clara Looper Park. It has already been dedicated. It's going to have 14 sculptures and that's what's taking time to get it all done and it should be opened in 2024. And so they're working on it right now because it's going to be a kind of a recreation of Cat's drugstore and the counter and being able to come in and see the idea, where did they sit down and what was this spark that really helped to ignite so much here in Oklahoma City but across the nation. And so we're going to have this just right down the street. And when it was dedicated, Claire Looper's daughter was there. She was interviewed and I loved what she said. She said, you know, I'm so glad that we came and sat down. Because when we sat down, young people across this nation stood up. To stand up for what is right. At first a few, and then more and more until finally enough were standing up that we truly did change our society. And the wins that we had a hundred years ago, 2,000 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, I've come to understand that progress is not just linear. It's something that has to be won in every generation. And every generation we have to come to the understanding of how we're going to treat one another. We have made progress a lot over 2,000 years, a lot in the last 120 years, but it's always this. For Joe Lacaro to say, when we'd put on the 25th anniversary, we felt like the message was actually more important today than it was 25 years ago. For Cole House Walker, he was there in the library and he knew that he was not going to leave. And I asked you, I said, do you think he knows that he's going to die? And he said, absolutely. But he didn't want his men to die. He wanted to leave a legacy for his son. And so he begins to explain to the men, this is not the right way. We do not return evil for evil. It will not be the right way. And he's going to send them away and they will live. And he said, I'm telling you to do it a different way. And when they leave, he then sings a song. The song he sings to them. Go out and tell our story. Let it echo far and wide. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. How justice was our battle and how justice was denied. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. 
and say to those who blame us for the way we chose to fight that sometimes there are battles that are more than black or white and I could not put down my sword when justice was my right. Make them hear you. Go out and tell our story to your daughters and your sons. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. And tell them in our struggle we were not the only ones. Make them hear you. Make them hear you. Your sword could be a sermon or the power of the pen. Teach every child to raise his voice. And then, my brothers, then will justice be demanded by ten million righteous men. Make them hear you. And when they hear you, I'll be near you again. I was glad we sat down. Because when we sat down, young people across this nation begin to stand up. And that's what God is asking out of us. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.